0: Hello and welcome back to the James Kennedy podcast, baby. We're still here. We're still doing it, man. Can you believe it? And it just gets better and better because today, oh, you're in for a treat. Now, before I get started, let me ask you a question. Have you subscribed to the damn podcast yet? Don't lie to me. Have you hit the like button? Have you smashed the notification bell and smashed all the other things one must smash in this day and age? If you haven't, get on it. But let's get down to business. Check this out. Metallica, Green Day, Smashing Pumpkins, Guns N' Roses, Motley Crue, Frank Turner, The Wild Hearts, you name them, you pick a band. Today's guest has probably interviewed them, flown with them, hang out with them, and partied with them. A longtime writer for Kerrang! magazine, as well as NME, Rolling Stone, and The Telegraph, today's guest is also the author of several books, including the most recent one, the absolutely jaw-droppingly brilliant, Bodies, Life and Death in Music. This guy has seen it all. He's been to the parties, he's been on the tour bus, he's been on the private planes, he's seen the highs, he's seen the lows, and he's only just lived to tell the tale. I'm really excited to chat with today's guest. So without further ado, it is my honour to welcome to the podcast, the legendary music journalist, Mr Ian Winwood. Ian, how are you, sir?
1: Hello, James, and hello to all your listeners. Greetings from a uh, warm but slightly overcast Camden town in fashionable North London. Uh, it's lovely to be here.
0: Oh, it's lovely to have you. And I, I, I must say, you're looking very fresh and dapper as well. Is this the is this the new healthy you we're looking at today?
1: It is. It is actually. Yeah. I mean, I've swapped some addictions are better than others, James. And I've swapped um, uh, waywardness, shall we say, for uh, an addiction to exercise, which I've actually had for a little while. Um, so, uh, but, which is good actually, because I have a propensity. To uh, balloon, my wife, Ruth, says that she's never known a male, a male of the species to just kind of explode in, in <laughs> getting excess weight uh, at even the mildest indulgence. So, right. uh, yeah, so I'm sort of like every day. It's, uh, this makes me sound tragic. I'm, I'm going on Friday, as we speak on Friday, I'm going to do an event at the, at the I Write Literary Festival in Glasgow. Uh, and I've got to fly first thing in the morning. And um, uh, the reason I'm flying, by the way, is because the trains aren't working. I don't just want your listeners to think that I'm just
0: the- a <laughs> jet-setting rock and roll douchebag.
1: i <laughs> oh, all, 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 all wrecking the planet single-handedly with short all flight. Yes. And it's like, oh, am I going to be able to exercise that day? And it's, it's, it's like, no, I'm not. I sound. I'm, I'm, this is not a good first impression, Jim. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very well. I will be exercising this evening. Before speaking to you uh, this morning, I have cleaned my share of the flat, so I'm feeling virtuous.
0: This is amazing. Now, for those people who haven't read Bodies yet or who don't know the personal story to yourself, which I didn't know. I mean, I knew of your work, of course, as a musician, but I had no idea that your own life story could be made into a fucking Hollywood movie. Um, So for people listening, trust me, what you just heard Ian describing there is... It could not be further from the way that you've spent the bulk of your your life so far in terms of your lifestyle choices. Um, but we'll get into all of that. What I wanted to start with is for those people listening who don't know uh, who you are, you know, the, 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 the three douchebags who've been living in a cave for the past 25 years. Um, who are you? What is it you do? And what have you done? And what's your general vibe? What's going on?
1: Uh, well, I'm a I'm a I'm a music journalist, uh, James. Uh, I guess now I'm a I'm a I'm an author and journalist. If I were to be appearing on a you know a Sky Arts program as a talking head, beneath my name on the on the screen would be Ian Winwood, author and journalist. But I'm a I'm a music journalist. I write about music, um, and I've been doing that with the exception of a, of a of a year at the end of the 90s in a bookshop where I was gainfully employed as the worst bookseller who ever walked (laughs) planet Earth. Um, Recounted briefly, but I hope humorously in the book, I've earned my living writing about music and and writing about people in bands. Um, It's slightly slightly strange talking about it because I've got to be careful if anybody is minded to think, well, this guy just clearly is the most fascinating person I've ever heard in my (laughs) headphones. I've got to buy his book immediately and sprints to a bookshop or to an Amazon warehouse because they can't they just can't bear to wait for the delivery. (laughs) Um, I I don't I don't want to duplicate too much what what what's in the book. But but I'll very briefly say uh, that when I was 14, I happened upon a magazine called Kerrang. And, uh, you know, maybe it was certainly within that time frame. My mum said to me, um, w- w- Have you thought about what you'd like to do for a living? And um, I said, And I didn't say I wanted to be a music journalist. I said, Yeah, I- I- I'd like to write for Kerrang, specifically that magazine. And, and then I heard the most important words of, of, of my young life, um, possibly the most important words of my life, which was, Well, someone does those jobs. I don't see why it shouldn't be you. Rather than, don't be silly. Get you a real a job. Property. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so I've spent, you know, a, a, and, and and that's so it was thirty years, thirty years. Like, January just gone that I that I got my first my first birth on a on a national magazine, uh, and that's been my gig ever since. Um, so that's who I that's who I am, James. I, you know, I write about. Um, I mean, I guess I appear most often at the moment in the in the in the telegraph yeah. uh, which is brilliant and strange for me because the telegraph's politics are not my own um, to, to put it mildly, however, as a writing gig, it's just exception it's just exceptional so Uh, And and it's the first time in my writing career I've written for other, you know, respectable publications, quote unquote, respectable publications, Um, uh, Q Mojo, for example, Uh, and the NME. But it's always been sort of I've always been sort of the rock guy. And I do love loud music. Don't get me wrong. That's, you know, if I were to throw a giant fire, uh, I'd be armfuls. there will be Tom Waits and there'll be particularly Elvis Costello. But the volume quotient of the of the CDs I you know I smuggle out of the flat right, with two right. cats, along with two cats, <laughs> um, you know would be would 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 emphasise you know volume maybe not necessarily metal although metal you know punkier metal
0: yeah would, I got I got the gist in your book that you you lean towards the punkier alternative underdoggy type of bands.
1: And energetic loud music, I would, I would say, is 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 my default setting with with melody and played loud, and 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 I'm certainly not averse to speed either. Um, never trust a music journalist that doesn't have a wide variety of yes. tastes. But if I if I if I had a neighbourhood to which I returned, that's it, you know.
0: And you've you've worked with like pretty much if you could name a band you've you've worked with them whether it's uh, you know reviewing a gig or interviewing them I mean I had no idea um, I mean we'll, 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 I want to get right into the book your most recent sure. book Bodies in, in depth but one of the things I had no idea of um, as a you know a long-standing musician myself um was the the jet setting lifestyle that a journalist at your sort of level um was privy to i mean you'd be flown out you know from the uk to california to interview green day and then flown back or something like that you know so you you've you've worked with the top of the top basically and, and lived that lifestyle as well so i mean anyone listening whoever your favorite band is it's likely that uh you know the guy you're listening to right now has actually met them and covered them at some point
1: it was, it, was, it was ridiculous. This, do, this doesn't happen anymore because of, of technology and the fact that, not for the record companies, actually, and not for the streaming services, and those two things are increasingly intertwined. The, music, the musicians get a raw deal, as, as is widely reported. Um, but sort of 20 years ago, I joined, I joined Kerrang 20, 22 years ago. Uh, 22 years ago this September and the just just the amount of i mean i go into this in the book and 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 i it was difficult to write about all this stuff to find a tone of voice that didn't make it sound like i was not just name dropping but place dropping as right. well nice but i wanted to give the reader an insight into what that life at that time, in terms of the access to the bands and the geographical access to the bands, was like, and I think I hope at least I was able to do so. And I think I'm 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 this is I'm figuring this out literally talking to you now, and 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 if I've been successful in in doing that, the reason is because I never lost my sense of amazement right. that I was being sent to all these places and you know Tokyo and Los Angeles and Seattle and New York and Cape Town and you know a, a ridiculous array of world cities uh without having to pay for it yeah. but not only without having to pay for it being paid to yeah. do it and I just never lost my sense of wonder about that and in fact there's a, there's a story on the first Literally at the start of the book, of me going to Los Angeles with a, um, a, 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 it would be unkind to name them, but with a record company press officer and a, and a, and a, let's just say a very famous and seasoned rock photographer, um, older than me, and they and they'd been upgraded and and they were they and they were just so kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just so kind of over it all and dispirited right. about it, and and all, actually almost resentful, James. Wow. And I, I never, I never got like that. I mean, you know, and and I would have found it outrageous had I had I done so, and I would have found it actually that kind of ungratefulness and, and cynicism actually about what I did. The idea that I, I would be sent to. New Orleans, or, or anywhere, actually, you know, a lot of the places were were, we're not particularly, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan is not a particularly interesting <laughs> place to go. De- Detroit is not is is you know it's it's like being a, a character in Grand Theft Auto, but to go to these places that I would never have, have, have seen, or I, I just never lost my sense of wonder about that. So I wanted to to sort of bring that to life for for the. For the reader, and I, and, and I hope that kind of my sense of, you know, I say in the book, they, the, these, those were wonderful times. Yes. You know, it was, I remember once I went to L.A. in, in three times in four weekends, and, and one, at the end of one of those trips, I was doing the, the second trip was the Foo Fighters, and I remember getting back and landing at Terminal 4 at Heathrow, which was then British Airways, a, a, a Transatlantic Hub picking up my bag from Terminal 4, going to Terminal 2, getting on a plane to Stockholm, and then driving up to Fargastar and spending a a couple of – for two nights, spending an entire day with the Hives, who were still a great band, or a very good band, but then were, you know, one of the hottest bands in – certainly in Britain – and being driven around with the hives in their van, so we could take photos. Me and my friend, Paul Harry's photographer, who, whose features in the book. Um, and the hives bought us bars of chocolate, <laughs> uh, which I just thought was unbelievably sweet. And then in the evening, we went temping bowling with the hives. And then, on, and then on the Thursday, I flew back to London. I had a birthday party on the Friday night. Stayed up, you know, to a ridiculous hour. And then went back to Los Angeles, and, and and which is crazy. But I mean, I hope as I'm recounting this, just, I still just thought, well, this is this is just what a way to, what a privilege it is to.
0: Oh, it's insane! I mean, what a moment in time as well that you lived through. I mean, yeah. you, you experienced firsthand, and you lived through it and indulged in it. You know, the, the kind of classic sex, drugs, and rock and roll era that the music industry is famous for. And I know all that's changed so significantly now, but but in reading the book, I could tell uh it really oozes through the pages that I mean, you, you, still to this day, you've not lost that kind of innocent sense of wonder and awe. That kind of working class. I mean, you're you're a Barnsley boy, right? That's right. Yes, yeah, so um, stuff right?
1: The boys from the valley.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I think that for that reason, I really related to the voice um, that it, the book is written in because yeah, it, it, it had that kind of working class sense of. Being at the master's table you know, and almost still being surprised and amazed that you're in the fucking party, in the building, you know what I mean? But I think it's important to point out at this early stage in the conversation that the book is not, you know, your typical rock and roll tell-all. I was hanging out with fucking Name Drop 1 when Name Drop 2 walked in and, you know, it's it's not like that at all. I mean, when you when you said about um, your place setting rather than Name Dropping, that, that, I, I think that was perfectly perfectly put because that is yeah i mean there there are a lot of big names in there and there are a lot of like salacious rock and roll stories in there that'll blow your fucking mind but that's not really what the purpose of this book is and when i released my book noise damage i had i had to battle with a lot of the assumptions that people make when you write a rock and roll memoir because everybody assumes that that's all it's going to be, you know, is sex, drugs and rock and roll. And my story was definitely not that. It was the exact opposite of that. And your book, Bodies, is definitely not that. I mean, it's, it's dark, you know. I mean, what you're doing is very brave in the book and very important, I think, to, um, to open up the conversation about the, the true reality of how most musicians spend their lives. You know, the book is hilarious and it's mind blowing and it is sex, drugs and rock and roll as well. But I don't really think that that's the purpose of the book. I thought it was very broad and I thought it was very important that you were being so brutally honest about how the industry actually affects, shall we say, the mental health of its most important asset, which is his artists. Was that the purpose of this book or is that just what came out because it's the true reality of, of the world as you were experiencing it?
1: Yeah, I, 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 hoped to. Um, the, the book is kind of two books in one. It's kind of, it's, it, it, it has that aspect of it, which is about half of the book. And it has me, to, I guess, because I thought that the stories about myself were, were interesting and also to show that I had skin in the game. Um, before sort of explaining that, <clears throat> it was important to me, James, that I wrote a book that rocked really oh yeah that had a bit of swing about it that when that when appropriate I had energy about it and when appropriate if I could say something humorous or darkly comic I would I would do so. So so I think it's a slightly fleeter book it's slightly fleeter of thought than 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 perhaps it sounds if 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 explained. Now you use the word mental health, and and I don't know why. There's something that in me that recoils a little bit when I hear that. Yeah. Now, I mean, I'm the author of the book, that that doesn't mean that I am right to recoil in that sense. But it's definitely part of the landscape. When I was recruiting people to to, to speak to me about the, the, the speak to me for the book, it took me a long time to try and explain to them what it was that I thought I was writing about. And as time progressed, I tightened it up. And it was, I'm writing a book about how the music industry makes people ill. Mm. Will you speak to me? When It was uh, in the stage, the book was at the stage where it had been copy edited and, and and it was about to be proofread, you know, on on, on a publisher like Faber, there's a lot of work that goes in after you, after you think you finish. If I knew then what I know now, I would, um, I would have a nervous breakdown right here on the spot. (laughs) Uh, So it was, it was intense. Faber, Faber's, Faber's, you know, the process makes books better, and it certainly yes. made my books better. Your listeners might hear that I have a cat meowing at the at the door. Do you mind if I just? I'm glad to know that out? was a
0: cat and not the hostage you've got gagged and bound. <laughs>
1: yeah, it well, was not a hostage, right? You were right. 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 going to do that. <laughs> so yeah, and and so you know, if if you if you, if you if you get for any for any would be writers out there, um. Or writers, indeed, uh, who who get a book deal with Faber and Faber, brace yourselves, okay, because it's it's intense. But they will make your book better. But 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 by the time it was nearing completion, and you know the various hoops. So there's an editor, copy editor, proofread. My wife, who works in publishing, proofread it as well. So there were various hurdles. It was like running a it was like running a marathon on a track and thinking you'd reach the end and then thinking, discovering you've got to actually run another half marathon.
0: <laughs> how long did it take, just just out of uh, interest? How, how long was the whole process?
1: 16 months from farm right. to table. Got you, right. Um, I thought it would take me four months to write it, which which is so cute. <laughs> I'm so cute. Uh, but as, as, by the time, it, it, the reason I mention all this, James, apart from, you know, to let your listeners know uh, just how very much I suffered for my art, um, the... By the time it was nearing the, the completion, I w- gigs were starting up again and I was going out. And, and And one of the things that really surprised me was just how much of my social life was seeing people at concerts that, you know, I hadn't arranged to see that I knew. And it's like, Oh, hi, you know, so-and-so how are you doing? And, and, and that was starting to happen again. And I had, and people, you know, you say oh, what, you know, what you've, been, what have you been doing? Where, how did you pass your time? And I said, oh, I've been writing a book. And this is, you know, to press officers, record company people, people in bands. And they said, oh, how have you, how have you been passing your time? I said, I've been writing a book. Oh, what's it about? I've been writing a book about how the, uh, how the music industry makes people ill. My lips to God's ears, are James. That to a man and woman. Everyone went, oh, right, yeah. No one went, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? How does it do that? Everybody went, yeah, right. Since it has been published, I mean, before it was published, gosh, I'm better at not sounding like name dropping in the book than I am. here. (laughs) Go for it. Drop away. (laughs) Um, uh, But but, but I I interviewed Yard Act, for some of your listeners may know, uh, for The Telegraph, and and I sent their singer a book. Um, just because I liked him and I got on with him. And, you know, you sort of always hope that perhaps they might, you know, give you a little shout out. Uh, I certainly didn't ask for it and I didn't, you know, advocate for it. And he posted a thread just saying, I, you know, I implore people to read this. Um, I got a message yesterday, a private message from a group. Uh, the people, a number of the people interviewed in it, practicing musicians. And the reason that I'm, I'm telling you and your listeners this, James, primarily so that everyone knows that i'm great um, but also <laughs> that um, the, the musicians themselves so far reckon that I've portrayed their world correctly right
0: that's important uh, yeah
1: and if you'd like me to explain what that world is and, and, and the, the the disjoint between the public facing role and and what actually goes on. I would love that. I think yes. it's
0: so important. It's so important. And, and it's beautifully described in the book as well. I mean, I should point out at this point that the book is also fucking hilarious. And it is a rock oh. and roll roller coaster. It's got all the shit you'd expect in a rock and roll book. And it, it is a, a, a ty- kind of a personal journey of your own life as well, which I must point out is has been fucking mental. And you could have had a movie made mm-hmm. about your life. Um, this book has yeah. got all the salacious rock and roll stuff in there that you want, uh, all the behind the scenes, you know. Uh, world of the of your favorite bands and and the whole lifestyle that comes with that um so yeah i mean what i'd love to have your description now uh before i interrupted you but i wanted to just sort of interject before people think oh fuck me that sounds heavy going the book is is hilarious it's a rip-roaring ride i read it in two days which i've never done for any book in my life ever so uh yeah i would I would implore everybody to go out and get it because it'll it will dominate your weekend (laughs) you'll be able to put it down
1: well, that's high praise indeed. Thank you, thank you very much. That's really a lovely thing to say, James, and a lovely thing to hear. Um, when I started writing the book, I'm not sure I quite understood what I was doing when I started it. Let's play that. And I went up to see um, the the singer songwriter Frank Turner. Some of your listeners may know, who is the, one of my rare exceptions that I, as, as as someone who I write about, who with whom I have become friends, uh, and. There is a story about Joe Walsh from the Eagles, right? In the 1970s, Joe, this didn't make the book, so this isn't a spoiler, And I, but I wanted to discuss this with Frank as my starting point. This is before I'd written Word One. So I went up to his house, house in furthest north London, two buses. Uh, he's since moved, and um, uh, I don't know why that's relevant, that he's, he's since moved, but anyway... And we sat at his table, and I told him the story of Joe Walsh, which was in the 1970s, Joe Walsh, the guitarist with the Eagles, the wildest member of the Eagles, woke up, not on tour, woke up in a hotel room in Paris, in bed, clothes laid out, everything present and correct, save for one detail, which is that he could not remember going to Paris. He had no (laughs) idea how he got there. From his home in Los Angeles. Now. You, the, the, the listeners won't see this, but James quietly laughed, but, but laughed when he heard that story. Frank did too, and I did as well. Now, why is that story funny? Because it's not really, is it? Um, it's a sign, sign of a man. It's deeply, if you wake up on a different continent and you don't know how you got there, True. you have made some foolish choices in your yeah. life. So yeah. that was one of it, one of the aspects. Why does that? Why do we celebrate that when it is deeply un, uh, the, uh, uh, the behaviour of someone who clearly is not well? For the record, Joe Walsh used that as as the as the impetus from which to from which to repair his life. Uh, so there was that aspect of it, but there was also the idea that actually there were a few ideas. But as, as the book progressed. It was the idea that musicians, I, just, I, I explore in that aspect of the book, in the more journalistic aspect of the book, I suppose, I explore why musicians lack a vocabulary with which to complain about things that are legitimate grievances. And it is because as a public-facing role, if we go and see the stones or green day or any group, really um, even bands whose music is, you know, a little bit downbeat um, say we want a positive experience and, and the musicians project a positive experience. So they they'd leave aside what is going on in their private lives. I guess as they should, because you don't, you know, you you don't want to go and see Biffy Claro and Simon Neal say, I'm I'm depressed at the moment. I've had a terrible it's all a bit shit. Yeah. Yeah, he is the captain, you know, and plays the captain. And then people go, What was that about? Yeah. So I do get that. Music journalism at its worst is PR rather than journalism that assumes that the bands themselves are always as excited and should be as excited and that there's no reason it's not even considered that they might have problems. Now, music journalists do write about problems, but you, you will notice that it is often in the past tense. So a band releases an album and talks about how on the last tour or Oh, the, the recording of the last album. They were at each other's throats. They were falling apart. There were addiction issues, whatever it might be. Often those, but now it's fine. And you look back over their interviews, and and, and every every previous album they were talking about. They were it was falling apart, but now it's fine. And we always assume that it's fine. So we're part of the part of the the sales campaign, if you like, in that way. I'll give you a, a concrete example. I won't name the publication because I don't want to get fired. But on the morning that Taylor Hawkins from The Foo Fighters passed away, I was asked to write a, 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 a long piece about his death. And I said, this was you know a couple of weeks before the book came out, maybe three weeks before the book came out. And I said, I will do that, but I want to make clear that 50-year-olds or 51-year-olds, I think he might have been, dropping dead in hotel rooms, is that's not normal. It's not normal. And your, some of your listeners may remember that Taylor Hawkins almost very nearly died in exactly the same circumstances in 2001 uh, at, the, at the Royal Garden Hotel in Kensington in, in August after, after the group played Leeds and Reading as I call it, rather than Reading and Leeds. Uh, and I didn't want to say, oh my gosh, she's died of, of a drugs overdose, although that information had come to light before the piece needed to be filed, that, you know, the signs didn't look good. Now, to give the publication credit, they have said to me that when the... when the the, 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 what's, the what's the phrase I'm looking for? When the official cause of death is, is, is released... I am. A, I will be able to write a feature that explains that. But at the time, they just wanted a celebration of his life, and of course, there is much to be celebrated in that life. But that life has come to an end, and I found it telling. But from the very off, it was like, no, no, we don't. We don't, no, no, we don't want that. We want this. We don't right. want. You know, I, I wouldn't suggest only that look at the music you know this 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 man made you know millions of people happy with with their music and i'm i'm not here to, to dismiss or discount that in any way but people people should not be dropping dead in hotel rooms in in murky circumstances and i would go so far as to suggest james that it is an abdication of responsibility to overlook that, and the press tends to do that. So that's, you know, from my part of the game, that's, that's one of the things that that I explore. You know, it is viewed, being in a band is viewed as being a dream job. And because it's a dream job, its participants are expected to be grateful all the time. They're expected to be grateful for what they receive from their record companies they're expected to be grateful to be doing this but there are enormous costs to this way of life um, being in a band involves you know being away from home for vast periods of time in a weird environment um, there you know there were there just so many sacrifices that they're required to to, to make um, and even saying this out loud, I'm aware that I'm not quite explaining it properly, because even I saying it are thinking, "Well, you know, gosh, they're on tour. how hard is it but I, I go into this in the book and explain why this um why this this idea that they don't that, that why this notion that that what they're doing is 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 because other people would desire to do it. Without have, ever having done it, so not knowing the terrain in its you know full 360 scope, um, they just see the public facing bit and think, oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? They read the press and think, isn't gosh, isn't that, isn't that, isn't that an incredible thing to be doing? That musicians sort of sort of don't have the vocabulary to explain what it is that is m- killing them in some instances. They have a phrase, uh, and, and James, if I've heard this once, I've honestly heard it 500 times. And they say, and maybe you said this as a musician, you say this as a musician, oh, I don't want to complain, you know, friends of mine have, have proper jobs. They, they keep saying, I don't have a proper job. Yeah. They, they, they do have a proper job. What they, what they don't have is a normal job you know, insofar as there is such a thing, but they don't sleep in their own beds. It's not a normal job. And I I do wonder, I say this in the book, I do wonder, James, if things could be improved by just changing that description. It is a proper job because if it's not proper, it's improper. And if it's improper, it's invalid. And if it's invalid, it makes the people doing it negotiate from a position of weakness.
0: And I think if we started changing the narrative within our community and society more broadly about it being a proper job, I think that would then bring into question a lot of the financial practice malpractice within the industry because a proper job is supposed to pay you a fucking living wage you know whereas most musicians yeah. live on pot noodles you know and can't pay their rent and we're talking about you know bands that are in the charts that you've heard of you know um oh. it's it's it's, it's the, that's more common within the industry than the people that are actually making a good living it's kind of like the one percent are making loads of money and everyone else is making fucking nothing at all you know
1: yeah even in even in in the 1980s um Clive James, the the great Clive James, wrote a review of Bob Geldof's bio, autobiographies, they say, <coughs> excuse me, published, you know, after the success of Live Aid. And and Clive James wrote that, that when it comes to, to money, pop musicians, there's only two kinds of money that a pop musician can, can make, less than you might think and more than you could imagine. And so that was already in place. Music. It has long attracted outlier personalities. We know this. You know, we know the the Joe Walsh story, the Sid Vicious, the Keith Keith, uh, Keith Richards, Keith Moon, you know, Mama Cass, uh, Janis Joplin, Hendrix, so many, you know, we we know all that. But at least back then they were being paid a a fair wage for a fair day's work. Now we have kind of... uh, a a, a business model that's rigged, rigged to the point of scandal. Yeah. So yeah, it's, 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 it's dangerous waters and um, there's, there's no sort of training for this either. You know, Um, there's no training for, for significant success that arrives very quickly. Mm. And also, for failure that arrives just as quickly right. as well. Yeah. Um, where suddenly you're wanted and, and, and to, be, to be talked to, but everyone wants to speak with you. And then, in the space of a single album cycle, in some cases, I think of Las Vegas, would be an example of that. No one then wants to speak with you. And you think, I got for a time, I got to do the thing that I most wanted to do with my life. And crowds cheer you and you think, oh, my God, I'm in, I'm in the game. And then two years later, it's gone. And in my experience, young musicians, and they are young at that point in their career, often never quite get over it. You know, it just it just. It's just a, a weird, a weird world. If you read the book, I explain it so much better than that. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I and I go into it all. What I've tried to do in the book is never to lose the sense of wonder about the music yes. itself. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, it, it all makes perfect sense. I mean, it, it, to me, it makes sense listening to you... What- Speaking, uh, describing it right now, sort of off the cuff, but obviously I have, I have experience of being close to that world with my own story, you know, Um, so I kind of, I kind of get it already, but in the book, there's a chronology to it and your personal journey that weaves through that as well, your personal growth and failure and, and, you know catastrophe and trauma and things that happen through that journey as well and you do it's so broad you touch on so many different areas of this where whether it's the business model and the way that that's set up or whether it's just the um just the general culture where um Ill health is kind of celebrated and encouraged almost, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. there's so much structural stuff to why this occurs. But what I found fascinating was that you you, you draw on some studies as well where you say that um, suicide rates amongst musicians are actually twice as high as the general population that's fucked up it's not right that people sh- that a whole community or an industry of people should have those stats and it's also not right that people shouldn't be paid fairly it's not right that uh, mental ill health should be so prevalent within one industry um mm. and it, and it's and it's not right that those people within that community shouldn't be allowed to talk openly and honestly about that because of this mythology they've got to maintain which is we're living the dream and it's all awesome and we can't we can't dispel that myth you know
1: yeah um, yeah, you, 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 you're, you're totally right. That an example of this that that stuck in my mind. I mean, being the egomaniac that I am, now that I mean the book for what it's worth, the book is as good as I know how to write. Now whether whether I mean it's lovely that you've you've said such nice things about it, James, and other people have said lovely things about it. But whether objectively it is a good book or not is is really none of my business because I I have no control over that. Subjectively, in terms of what I am capable of achieving as a a writer, I honestly can't do any better than that. Um, So consequently, that being said, when I got the final finished version of it, I just read it again and again and again like a crazy person. Right, right. Uh, my wife told me I was a crazy person and I had to narrate the audio book as oh, well. Oh, so that's
0: a killer. If anybody yeah. likes,
1: likes, the, likes the sound of my slightly <laughs> top end, vaguely northern accented <laughs> voice. Um, you can hear me reading the, the audio version. And let me tell you, there is nowhere to hide from a book when you have to read it precisely and with great care over the course of four days in oh, an yeah. otherwise perfectly silent recording studio. That's There's nowhere to hide. So I'm glad I put the work in for that reason alone, because that would have been a truly miserable experience. But I'm noticing things that perhaps I did, or things that are leaping out at me with particular clarity that perhaps I hadn't noticed when I was putting the book together. And in the books, probably, well, quite a few startling chapters in the book but there's a book about music a chapter about musicians who actually uh, have died and very graciously um Grant Hutchison who is the was the drummer in Frightened Rabbit and the brother of Scott Hutchison the band singer who who ended his whole and ended his his own life um died by suicide um a, a, a few years ago um I was incredibly, and, and that's sort of one of the things about the book as well. I was, as I was entrusted stories that, that were precious cargo by mm. people, my own aspect of the book, my own appearances in the book. Those were my stories. I could do with those as I pleased, but other people entrusted me with, with, with really the worst things that had happened in their lives. And, and and I had a, a duty of care to those stories. Um, Grant Hutchison was one of those. His own brother committed suicide uh, when they were in a band together. And he told me uh, a story of them being on the road in the United States uh, and being invited to play on on Late Night with David Letterman, the Late Show with David Letterman. And Scott didn't want to do it, but the band convinced themselves. They were, they were Bush, They were beat. They'd done two consecutive U.S. tours, one supporting the national, one headlining. They were B. but it was the case of, well, all we've got to do is play on TV. Who wouldn't want to do that? Our friends at home have proper jobs. And Grant told me that if, he, if they had called the record company, and this is not a particular slight on this one record company, this is a universal truth. If they had called the record company and said, look, we need to go home, or at any point in the tour said, we need to go home, the record company wouldn't have taken them at their word. It would have been, well, let's go on a conference call with the manager, let's see how we can sort this. And by sort this is let's see how we can carry on rather than, well, you're the guys in the field or the, you know, the guys or the, or the women, the men or the women in the field, whatever it may be. Um, you're the people in the field. You know best. We will take your word for this. We will give you the time to repair if you need help with substance abuse, because that's what people do on the road, whether it's alcohol or, 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 or you know, drugs. Um you know, we fund a, a a rehabilitation clinic. We go there, don't worry, fix yourself up. Um, it's always a case of the show must go on. Yeah. The show must go on. And I make the point in the book that this is the one taboo that is yet to be challenged. And I understand that it's difficult to be to challenged, James, because if, you know, you, you, if, you, if if a band is playing a show tonight at let's say so I'm not being London centric let's say the Sheffield Arena for example and its members are, are, are frazzled and deeply unwell you still have the consideration that 12,000 people have bought tickets and may be coming down from you might be, you might, you might be coming from Leicester yeah. you know you might have sort of been so it's you know it's it it it's it's it, there are serious considerations in place if you are going to pull a show, but the essential tenet that the show must go on has yet to be as yet to be challenged and I think in the case of Frightened Rabbit, which was obviously the starkest outcome and most tragic outcome possible um, that was one of the factors that grant brought up mm. as being you know, uh, a, a factor in 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 what happened that yeah. treadmill work environment yeah. that no one dare speak the name of. We need to stop. We need to postpone. We need to cancel. We need to uh, we need to draw a line over this and draw breath and and just recharge our batteries in a setting where we're not waking up in a different city every day.
0: And I think that speaks to a certain background hum of general desperation that lives in the lives of musicians, because most of us will never get to the point where we have the opportunity to do that, which is yeah. hardship and anxiety constantly within itself anyway, because, you know, you've got to struggle, you've got to juggle day jobs, you, you deal with daily rejection and all that sort of shit. When you finally mm. get that, that fleeting moment... You don't want it to go. You don't want to fuck it up. So even if you're right. already burnt out and frazzled and unwell by that point, there's that kind of thing of like, well, what if this goes? Is this going to slip through yeah. my fingers and now I'm back working in, you know, McDonald's again or something, you know?
1: Yeah. And there's there's a story in the book about, again, tre- treading lightly, because I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody that, that might w- want to read it. Of Simon Neal from Biffy Claro, who's, who spoke with me and, and whose input just totally brought alive the musicians' experience from from me, and I used Biffy Clyro as my template because of all the gosh hundreds, if not a thousand bands that I've interviewed. Um, they are the one that, to me, seem to have their shit together tighter yeah. than anyone right. that I have. You know, they're a three person band. Rhythm section are twins, and and Simon Neal has known them both since he was seven years old. That's pretty solid foundation with which to start a group. But even they ran 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 aground. For Ben, the drummer, it was it was alcoholism. Um, But for Simon, it was just burnout, and he had while about to embark on on a short North American tour that they did. mostly complete, but the reason that he'd struggled on, I mean, it was an important American tour because it featured two notable concerts at which the band's U.S. record company, Warner Brothers, would be watching uh, at a festival in California called Coachella. And Simon had trained himself, and this is, I'm paraphrasing, but this is his description, had trained himself to believe that the band's future and that everything depended on these two, uh, appearances at Coachella on consecutive weekends, and that if these concerts weren't honoured, if they didn't appear at this festival, then the band would fall off a cliff, and his life would fall off a cliff. That's not healthy. No. That's that that's that's not a healthy way to be in. No. And he also said, while making the point that 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 Warner Brothers have have um, the different personnel in place now, we're going back sort of perhaps uh nine years um and the band currently are on a u.s tour of of of, of decent sized u.s venues so it's but the, he did say that we do biffy claro don't sell as many records uh, are not as popular in the united states as they are in other countries and he can trace that right back to the day that wow. he decided that he had to come home because the the, the 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 paymasters at the record company took the view that you know maybe even silently took the view that well obviously they don't really want it. you know yeah. he, play, he played he played last weekend why can't he play this weekend yeah, why is yeah. he going home he obviously doesn't really want it and then suddenly you know the band's got a weird name that they were signed in the uk they're not they weren't signed by the American label, so the American, American label doesn't it's like who are you know, who are these from Scotland? And suddenly they're not a priority anymore. No one's got great enthusiasm behind them. And there was a tremendous amount of groupthink in the music industry, particularly record labels. And, you know, Simon flew home before the, the tour was finished, not, not very long before the tour was finished. Um, he'd been urged to fly home by the management and good for them and by his family back in Scotland and by Ben and James Johnson, the the bass player, uh, the drummer and bass player, respectively. So people within the organization had his back, but he right. He feared that the record company would view this, take a dim view of this. And he was right. um, it, It seems. And, you know, the American arm of Warner brothers just kind of didn't really get behind them as, as they should have done. Now, I may apologize for repeating myself. Those people, Simon was keen to stress, you know, they've got a better team at the record company now who better understand the kind of issues that he was facing at the time. But back then, it was a case of, oh, well, he's, he's ungrateful, is what it boils down yeah, to. And yeah. again, that question yeah. of gratitude he's ungrateful, will, will, Throw our money at something else, you know. Actually, their money because they it comes it comes out of their own. Yeah, we'll true, throw yeah. their money. Yeah. <laughs> we'll throw their money at someone else. And um, and yeah, it, it, you know, it set them, no doubt about it. Set them back in the US. Set them back ten years in the US.
0: And I think that is the exact example is why we all put up with so much shit because it does happen. If it can happen to a band like Biffy Clyro or Coachella, it can happen to a much smaller band who's getting their one, one chance and they've essentially given two fingers to the, the industry that's deemed them worthy over the gazillions of others that will never get a chance.
1: Yeah, and they're thinking, this is our dream job. This is our dream job. We, we, it's, it's got to be, everything about it's got to be perfect. Any complaint is illegitimate. It's them in.
0: Well, I had Jackie from Girls School, another, um, another Yorkshire girl uh, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and w- she was saying that she's the happiest she's ever been because she's doing meditation. She's been sober for six years, I think. she She's a vegan. She does yoga. She does all these things. And now she just loves touring and just playing the shows. I mean, granted, they're at a level where they've kind of got their fan base, their legacy band, that sort of thing. They kind of take yeah. it, doing their thing. And she seemed to be someone that seemed to have it all together. She she wasn't any longer that interested in the uh, you know the rock and roll roller coaster. You know having talked with Lemmy, she'd seen it firsthand and stuff like that. You know, um, yeah. and she'd seen so many talented friends come and go that she knows that she knows she's seen the dark side firsthand. But she said that now she's doing these other things, such as you mentioned earlier, you know, exercise, eating well, you know, sleep. Um, you know, avoiding the temptations. She's actually way happier than ever before. And I thought, okay, well, she's one of the few people I've spoken to that seems to have gotten it together in this industry. Were there, I mean, you mentioned Biffy Clyro there. Are there other bands that you know of that seem to have it together? And what seem to be the common traits that they have that may be, uh, you know, it's a kind of good a good model for smaller bands or other bands to follow?
1: Well, all of the people that have it together sort of that I'm about to mention, operate at a higher sphere. Right. However, bands that have, have, have now got decades behind them who are, you know, road bands, touring bands, figure out a way to make that environment work for them. So Frank Turner, for example, and it could be something as simple as this. Frank Turner puts aside an hour a day in which to read a book. Usually around dinner time, which is usually maybe about six o'clock. So you don't want to you know, eat 10 minutes before you go on stage. Yeah. He'll read a book. And the, the road crew, the tour manager, the rest of the band, uh, the, his band, The Sleeping Souls, they know not to bother him. Whatever. They know not to bother him. It's his quiet time to read a book. That's preciously important to him. Um Muse, for example, I mean this is slightly high end, but Muse's bass player, Chris Walston home told me that on off days, uh on days off he in Europe he will come home and spend the night with his wife and his children uh in in the in the southeast. Um Green Day, they have separate tour buses. I mean you've got a slightly bit a level to have separate tour buses, but but nonetheless. Um Metallica um, they tour only in sort of two or three week bursts, and then even if they're in Europe, fly home. I mean, they do have their own private jet, which helps. <laughs> that helps, yeah. <laughs> um, and then and then fly home for a couple of weeks, you know, to be with their right. families, to be away from the band. Um, actually, Yard Act and Yard Act are, are popular, but but um, I hope I hope you won't mind me saying this. It's it's not a great confidence, but. James from the singer from Yard Act told me that they too have that sort of three week touring burst and then a couple of weeks off you know he has a, a young infant at home and 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 a partner you it's it is about striking the balance between yourself as an individual James and your life and the lives of other people in your life as well and your uh, shared identity as a member of a band, you know, and the people who survive and who prosper and who make it work learn to not only or learn to understand and and be able to, to keep their identity outside of the band intact as a human being, uh, you know, that that's not related to, you know, whether they are... A jobbing musician who earns a modest living or, you know, a, a bona fide rock star going home, being with the family, being away from it. That seems to be the key long term. Um But it takes conscious and deliberate thought and action, in my experience, from what I from what I can see to, to you know, to make that happen.
0: That's brilliant advice to hear. And I know that's going to be so useful because many of the listeners to this will be, you know, fellow musicians and music fans and stuff like that. Yeah. So that, that's brilliant advice to hear. And I think that probably, you know, there need to be structural changes within how the industry functions as well. And obviously, you know, it's changed a lot now. It's even harder, I think, now. But I'm, I'm also a proponent of the new model over the old model, as an independent musician to whom the old model was the door was closed, mm. you know, after 10 years of trying and releasing three albums and touring Europe in a transit band, all that sort of stuff, the industry was still very much closed to us, um, despite you know, radio play on you know, Radio One and getting great magazine sure. features and stuff like that um but inevitably it was doing it myself setting up my own label my own music publishing company that sort of thing which gave me the ability to actually keep putting music out despite not having any you know acceptance within the within the the cool club as such um and also to make a living out of it i mean i haven't had a day job now in in about 15 years something like that and make a modest living as an independent musician so for me I have a lot of good things to say about the new model of streaming and digital okay. and social media and the ability for bands to continue to put their art out and to continue to do something, even though you haven't got, a, you know, a record deal from a reputable company with a budget. So I don't think for me personally, I don't see it as all being bad. But it is very different because now, if you're doing it 100% independent, like I do, there is no support structure at all. Whereas the problem with the old model was that um, there could have been a support structure, but the, the, you know the decision was chosen to to not be, to, to not provide that. Yeah. But now bands don't even even have any structure at all. You know, we're just out, out there in the wilderness making it up for ourselves. You know.
1: Well, that's fabulous, James. That and 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 that you and figured out a way to make the new model work. The trouble with the overwhelming majority of, 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 not necessarily the overwhelming majority, because increasingly younger musicians are are going the route that you are. For people signed to a record company, for bands signed to a record company, the fundamental problem here is they're not being paid properly. I perhaps should have said that at the very top of the show. They're not being paid properly. Um, and because they're not being paid properly, I, I spoke in the book to a gentleman by the name of Tom Gray, a very um, strident <laughs> uh, uh, campaigner who, who heads up an organization called Broken Record, which seeks to get fairer remuneration for artists. In, in the age of the pandemic, the record company and st- companies and streaming services were fine. It was the musicians and their crews that went broke. That is intellectually and morally indefensible. That just does does not and should not make any kind of sense at all. I I can think of no clearer example of the the, the dysfunction and and, um, indefensibility of so much of the music industry than that simple fact. Pay them better. Pay them better. Pay musicians who have their songs streamed, pay them better. Because the money is still in the industry. It's just not going to the artists anymore. And that is a grift. I am not victim blaming here. I'm certainly not because I get why this happens. But the quicker musicians learn that they are being cheated and learn that it is not just their right, but right itself to complain about this because it's called the music industry. Without music, there is no industry. They are the content. They are the talent. And they should be getting paid. And I hope that going forward, that musicians are empowered to almost unionize, if you will, uh, and, and say, hang on, 0.0, four pence per stream through record company royalties. That's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. There's a, a statistic in the book from Fergal Sharkey, the, the erstwhile well singer of the undertones, who said that you have to have something like seven million three hundred thousand streams per month to make minimum wage. You know, that needs fixing. And if and, and 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 if that if that can be fixed, I think other things are more easily fixable from that point
0: amen man that was a killer fucking riff dude you were on a roll right there (laughs) and thank you for saying it as well no you, you totally bang on and i totally agree with you man like, I do think that, like, a lot of the infrastructural stuff is now there for artists to support themselves um, and not be reliant upon, you know, the exploitative machinery of old. Yeah. I mean, like my new album, uh, Make Anger Great Again, was recorded in this chair um, for free. It didn't cost me a fucking penny. You know, I played all the instruments myself. I used free software. I, I didn't leave my fucking house, you know, and um, that just wouldn't have been available to me, you know, 20 or 30 years ago. And that's all great and it's empowering and democratizing and it levels yeah. the playing field. But if we still can't make any money at all, then there's only so long we can continue to do this for. That's right. You know, before we've got to fucking hang the guitar back up on the wall and get a job.
1: Yeah, but I, under- I understand your, your point of view as, as well, James. You can get your music heard. That glass ceiling that separated you from an audience does not exist anymore. But people getting paid for their, their, their music, is, is that's also gone as well. And it, need, it needs fixing. It needs fixing. Because, you know, it, it is not possible to make a living as a – or it's virtually impossible. Let me put it no stronger than that. For a band, for example, Talk Talk in, in the 1980s, decided to stop touring and became a studio band. That's not possible anymore. You know, it, it, it's not 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 to be a professional musician. It's just not possible for a for a you know a, a, an emerging band or a band a sort of you know Cardiff St James St David's Hall almost got the wrong saint there Cardiff Cardiff St David's Hall you know Hammersmith Apollo Sheffield City Hall level to go. Do you know what? We we actually don't like being on the road. This is and we want to make music that we can't. Necessarily play live. Yeah, we're going to become a studio band. Not possible. Not possible. So the music itself is suffering, actually.
0: So where does the solution to this lie then? I mean, so much of this now is at the influence of companies that aren't actually in the music industry, tech companies, for example. Where does the solution to this lie? Because I know that the problem is, it's the mainstream major labels are in collusion with the tech companies to make sure yeah. that they're still getting the lion's share. So we're back to the same old usual fucking culprits again. <laughs>
1: Um, I, I, in writing the book, I didn't... That that chapter of the book, that chapter, that that segment of the book, it's, it's at the top of the fourth chapter where I speak to Tom Gray. I outline what the problems are, and I do it in a manner that I think is sort of entry-level business stuff in the way that, 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 that I can understand. Um, so I would not pretend to know the mechanics of fixing this other than to say what I just said, James, which is the way to fix it. Like I said, music always attracts outlier personalities. However, the fact that they're now not being paid properly is, 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 is a whole new, it's a whole new. So what it does is it it attracts people who are, you know, hardwired for, Self destruction or 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 excessive behaviour, or you know just wildly creative, independent, free spirits, you know, at at the the healthier end. But it also makes people who are steady as a rock musicians, the working conditions, it's making them ill as well. People who wouldn't ordinarily give craziness a go. crazy behavior girl
0: happened to me yeah
1: right had they, were they not working in that environment they would not be unwell they would not be yeah. you know, burdened with 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 you know these the things that that burden them in the music industry so that's a sign that it's it's deeply flawed it's both the chicken and the egg it's it's the perfect right. it's the, i describe it in the book as the perfect monster um yeah to help the people who are falling ill, who wouldn't fall ill were they not in the music industry, pay them properly. That, that I think, will fix that. Um, how you do that, I mean, you're up against corporate behemoths, you know? So <laughs> how to do that, I don't know. Keep talking about it. Keep talking about it musicians learning not to be afraid to talk about it to say i am not being paid properly i am not being paid properly please buy my record that's all that i think that is within the musicians grasp at the moment other than perhaps giant artists you know speaking out but the simple truth is much of what i write about is simply the fact that um, you know, it's a music industry in the 21st century. They're not being paid properly, James. They're not being paid. Pay them properly. Simple.
0: Beautiful. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. There's so much important stuff there. I mean, and, and I think, like, um, that's the beautiful thing about the book, is that it does open up all of these questions, doesn't it? You touch on so many different areas of our beloved industry and the lives of our beloved you know musicians and rock stars um it's such a broad book that i think does open up a lot of uh, further discussion about the industry that we all know and love so well so i'm going to plug it one more time and i'll plug it you know obviously you know um throughout the the beginning and the end of the podcast um the the book is called bodies life and death in music by ian winwood i cannot recommend it enough like i said i i digested it in two days i'm a you know, a veteran of the music industry, and I there was stuff in there that just absolutely my my jaw was on the floor, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and, it was, and much of it was music to my ears as well because it resonated so much with my personal experience. I think it's a very important book, beautifully written. It's funny, uh, it's it's salacious and exciting. There's plenty of rock and roll gossip in there, but very important book as well. So I salute you for for the for the much needed and important book that you've you brought to our shared community, in. And um, before I let you go, because I have had you for way longer than I promised. I would. Uh, I just want to ask, um, how are you these days? Because your personal life story, like I said before, is, is one that could be made into a movie. I had no idea what you rock and roll journalists get up to. You've been through the ringer yourself. Um, so are you better these days?
1: Yeah, I'm much better these days. Um, they, they, very briefly, for anybody slightly confused by what that might be, my own personal story is in the book. Uh, the story of the de- 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 a, 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 a family a death in the family that that um, that I hope is a rip roaring tale actually even when it happened it's mental I'll, I'll, it's d- crazy I'll, I will be honest with you even when it happened there was a little part of me thinking, this is a good story. That's, You you have got journalism in your bones, if that's what you're thinking. Uh, I won't won't say any more because I don't want to.
0: No, 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 no. you've got to read the book. It's fucking mind-blowing. You you will not believe it.
1: Even even in that day. And uh, that gave me the means and opportunity to to sort of destroy my life. Um, And the music industry itself, the music industry itself didn't make me ill because I, I don't really work in the music industry. I'm just, I work adjacent to the music industry no one's you know sending me uh i'm going to a literary festival in glasgow on friday i'll be i'll be away for for, you know barely 24 hours that's me being on tour no one's no you know i i I don't say to my my wife right that's me off to work love i'll see in four months months, yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, you know so it but it gave me plenty of cover and I think it's fair to say, I think it's actually utterly accurate to say that I've, I've placed my life in terrible danger. I don't know why I'm laughing about that. It's the Joe Walsh thing again. Oh, Ian, Ian almost killed himself. Isn't that great? No, what a boy. Yeah, I did this to myself and then I, I with the help of others, but I, I just thought this is getting silly now, isn't it? You, do, do you really want to? You know, die before you you get old. You know, to invert the you know the great who. I uh, hope I die before I get old. It was like I hope I get old before I die. Um. So I decided to pull out of the nosedive, dive, but I I I you know I I really did drive my needles into the red.
0: dive would be an accurate term, I think.
1: Yeah, I do have my needles into the red, and those are the stories that belong to me. So those are slightly zip along, and there's a measure of um uh, uh, comic input from. Uh, I mean, I don't yuck it up, you know, but, but yeah, it's like, look at, look at this idiot. So, so that's it. It was
0: t- very, it, it was very beautifully handled. Oh, it well, was self-appreciating. You. It was funny. It wasn't maudling or, you know, it wasn't a misery memoir. I, I can't speak highly of it enough. I, it's really well written. I mean, obviously we, we know you're a brilliant writer, you know, Um but it, it, yeah, it's for me, I, like I said, I'm still kind of processing it because I rattled through it. I wanted to finish it before I spoke to you today and I only got the book last week because it's only just come out. But I mean, it, I, I didn't have the option to put it down. Honestly, it wasn't It was like I was finishing it for a deadline. I just couldn't put the fucking thing down. Right. So I, I was glued. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's dealt with humility and humor, but you're, you're brutally open and honest in there as well. It's a very brave book, I think, and an important book that opens up, like I say, the, the sort of discussions that we've been touching on today. So once again... Bodies, Life and Death in Music by Ian Winwood. Go and buy it right now and buy one for your friends and tell everybody how good it is.
1: God bless you, James. um, Just in closing, and I hope this makes the the cut, um, we've never spoken before. Um, You messaged me. You've been lovely in your message. You you just seemed, even by a text, to be a a really good guy. I've seen nothing today to dissuade me or disabuse me of that notion. Good luck with your own career. Good luck with your own writing. Uh, good luck with the podcast. And it really, it honestly, has been a, 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 a pleasure and a privilege to, to, to appear on, on, on your, on your, on, uh, to, to board your vessel for the last hour or so. Oh,
0: that's super kind of you, and, and the feeling is reciprocal and you know mutual as well. And you know, I, I feel like we could probably talk for hours. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I know you've got probably a gazillion of these to do so I will let you go but I thoroughly enjoyed it honestly it's, it's been fascinating for me to be able to sort of um, you know speak to someone that's been right to the extreme ends of the industry that I spent so long trying to break the door down to so you know it's, it's I've really enjoyed it and I'd, le- I'd love to do it again sometime
1: Love to it'd be my pleasure you just let me know James
0: There we go folks you heard it here first he's just committed to coming back every Wednesday <laughs> Ian thank you so much for your time I wish you nothing but the best with the book it is incredible I know it's going to be a busy few months for you and you deserve all the success and accolades that you're getting for the book if anybody wants to follow ian's twitter it's at ian winwood one on twitter and the book is called the bodies a life and death in music ian thanks so much for your time today it's been absolutely brilliant fun talking to you i wish you nothing but the best and i'll speak to you again soon thanks again man
1: all right bud stay safe we'll be talking to you, you bye too. bye james bye see you
0: man what a nice guy seriously when you read the book and you realize what this dude has, has got up to in his life, the sheer level of fucking debauchery. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I can't even tell you because I don't want to give it away. But um, yeah, what what a, what a seriously cool dude. I mean, not many people make it out the other side of that type of lifestyle. But seeing him there today, like all fresh face and healthy looking and clearly, you know, h- happy and healthy and in a much better place in his life now gives a lot of hope that it is possible. As you are reading the book, that dude went to the depths. I had no idea, man. It blew my fucking mind. So you're never so far gone. You're never so low that you can't bounce back. And Ian is an example of it. And he made some great points the there today, you know, about uh, you know the music industry and the true reality of how musicians really live and why that is. And I really hope that that was uh, informative and insightful for all you music fans out there. And I'm sure that any musicians listening um, will totally relate to a lot of that stuff as well. Do put your comments in about whether you agree or disagree or, or, or if your own experiences. You know, let's, the whole point of what Ian's doing with this book, I think is to open up a broader conversation about this issue and to break the stigma um, that musicians feel about you know this whole not having a proper job and you know so therefore it's okay to basically live like a fucking homeless person on wheels Yeah, i think it's great that uh, somebody with ian's kind of influence and reach and credibility within the industry is uh, speaking out on these issues It's a brilliant book. I'm going to plug it one last time. Uh, Bodies, Life and Death in Music. It's only been out like two or three weeks. It's super fucking fresh. Uh, There's tons of cool stories in there. It's really informative. It's really raw and brutally honest and funny as hell. Uh, I can't speak highly of it enough. Please go and buy a copy. Let us know what you think as well. And before I go, I'm going to nag you one more time. Subscribe to the fucking podcast, man. Come on, you're getting some good shit in this thing. All right, you go and get the book. I'll see you next week for another awesome episode of the James Kennedy Podcast. Take care of yourself. Take care of others. I love you loads. Bye-bye.